2: 911, what are you reporting? Uh, I got a strange going on out here. Something just killed my dog. Something killed your dog? My dog went flying through the air over the tree. I don't know how it did it.
0: Okay. Damn it, I'm really confused. All I saw was my dog coming over the fence, and Nate was dead when she hit the ground. I didn't see any cars. All I saw was my dog coming over the fence. 911. What are you reporting? Uh, we got someone or something crawling around out here. Did you
2: see what it was? It was. It was standing up. I'm out here looking through the window now, and I don't see anything. I don't want to go outside. Jesus Christ!
1: You better
2: get sure. ya! Hello. Get somebody out here. What's going on now, sir? That son of
0: a bitch is about six foot nine. I don't know. Do you see him now, sir? Yes, I'm looking right at him. Uh oh. Hey everybody, this is Les Stroud. Yes, yes, I know. AKA Survivor Man. And you're listening to Brian Sasquatch Odyssey.
2: And welcome to this week's bonus episode of Sasquatch Odyssey Thank you guys so much for clicking play It is Sunday, I hope you guys have had a great week We've got a great guest lined up for you But as always, I want to start the show by inviting you If you've had an encounter and you'd like to be on the show Shoot me an email and you can get me at brian at sasquatchodyssey.net Head over to the website, you can check it out, become a member there and help support the show As I said, we've got a great guest lined up. I guess you guys can tell by my voice. I'm a little under the weather, so I'm going to keep this intro brief. I was going to talk about some of the reaction to the Todd Standing interview from Friday, but I just don't have it in me. I've got to do three more interviews for the show today, and my voice is just about gone. So I'm going to keep this brief. Andy McGrath is the guest on the show tonight. He's written the book Beast of Britain, and he's working on a new book series, We'll talk a little bit about that during this interview. We're going to talk about Bigfoot, Dogman, Nessie. We're going to talk about all kinds of cryptids tonight. So I hope you guys enjoy the show. I appreciate you showing up. As I said, my voice is not doing so great. So I'm just going to let the music play. You guys sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So want to welcome my guest tonight. It is Andy McGrath from the Beast of Britain Books series. Welcome to the show, man. Hi, how you doing? I'm absolutely fabulous. I'm glad you're here, man. So I've been excited to talk to you. So let's get right into it. I'll okay. start like I do most interviews. What got you into cryptids and sent you on this path that you've been on for so
3: long now? Um, well, for me, it was just being a teenage boy in, in the late 80s. And I... I I'm not sure, I keep saying to people, yeah, I think it's, it was 25 years when I announced I was going to be a career cryptozoologist in 2016, now it's about 30 almost, I, I suppose, or a bit more than that. Um, I'm not sure if it was when I was 15 or before, but I loved Nessie, I loved the In Search of Shows, the Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World, and I just collected you know, snippets, clippings, uh, stories, newspapers, magazines, obviously, then, these regular boys' magazines that had supernatural stuff, and then also a bit of Nessie and, and Bigfoot and the rest of it. You know, a Patterson Gimlin, Paddy fan, like anybody into the in this genre would be. And I just got on with my life. I was a musician for many, many years, touring, playing musician, then got married, had children, worked in central London for like seven years straight, 50-hour weeks, three-hour commutes every day, both me and my wife. And in 2016, we had a little bit of saved and we said, Hey, you know, let's just do our own private projects and what shall we do? And she said, Well, what about this monster thing that you're always talking about? What about your monsters? Uh, you know, um, and I said, Yeah, I could do something like that, maybe a TV series. And I sort of fleshed it out a bit. And I spoke to a friend of mine who's a producer at the time, and he said, Well, look, you know, anybody could just kind of pick this idea up and take it. Uh, why don't you write a book and give it a nice snappy title and then you know, if they want to take it, they've got to give you something and do a book. So I started to write a book called it Beasts of Britain. Originally, it was supposed to be Beasts of Series going all around the world. It was Beasts of North America, Beasts of South America, and Britain was the first stage of that. And I wrote the first uh, edition. I, in fact, about two months after I started writing it, I started interviewing on American podcasts saying, I'm writing this book, um, which I didn't really know how that was going. And interest, started to, to come towards me in, in, in that sense. And I, I suppose I was quite naive about it. I met people in the genre. I found out there was more than just Nessie in the UK. There were Dogman reports and Bigfoot reports um, of all varying qualities and, um, and standards. And other things besides, Big Cats, of course, is something I've been following for a long, long time in this country, and just fleshed it out. And you know, I said, let's look into this and see what the theories are behind it. Wrote and published the first book in 2017, looked at it in 2019 and went, oh, my gosh, this is like <laughs> this is like a book that somebody who can't write, who doesn't know about writing books wrote, so rewrite the book. I did that in 2019 and, again, signed up with a publishing company in 2021 uh, with whom my, my new book series is coming out and just gave a further rewrite and got rid of some of the crazy ideas and put a few more sensible theories in it, you know lived and learned theories after being several years in the genre with all of these very experienced researchers and having that nice learning curve to go through publicly, which is always a a blessing. And uh, yeah, and now here we are. I've got a new book series coming out, Beasts of the World, Volume One, Hairy Humanoids. That's, and this is the point we're at right now. Awesome. Well, why don't you just go right
2: into that? Tell us a little bit about the Without giving away the baby with the bathwater, so no,
3: sure. Tell us about the new book series. Well, the new book series, really, it's it. It was I had a question in my mind: what What is Bigfoot? And in looking into what is Bigfoot or Bigfoot-like creatures, I noticed there was this diverse group of hairy, bipedal man-like monsters inhabiting all these lonely regions around the world. And I thought, well, are these mythical Ansters, the only type of hairy humanoids that inhabit a planet, or could there be other lesser known varieties of wild men yet to be revealed? And I went looking for them, basically. And um, of course, you know, the fact that there could be a differentiation between types is not a new idea, but I, I did try to separate them out. So you're looking at things like uh, the man ape, the giant man ape type, uh, as it would be known, as, like Bigfoot or like the big grey man, uh, the Ben Mutui, or the orang or the ngaluku, um, or wild men, the Almasti uh, pops to mind. And of course, our very own Wood uh, in Europe and Britain uh, comes under that category as well, the Bar Manu. And started reading up on people like Mary Jean Kaufman, who went in search of the Almasty, or Jodie Magrina who went in search of the Bar Manu. And of course, the awesome Yowie Hunters guys who do a great show, as you're probably aware of about Yowie reports and thought, gosh, there's, you know, there do seem to be physical behavioural variations between these different types, as well as the relic apes like the Yeti and, and Skunk Ape and, and others besides. And there's other things in the book. We look at Littlefoot and monkey monster reports like the Salvaje the or the Isnachi, or uh, devil monkey in the US, of course, and dogmen, which for me fall within that that monkey monster type as well, primarily, and and other things besides. So I thought, Let's just flesh it out. Let's look into this and see if we can make a book out of it uh, with plausible theories, and with every type that we investigate, there is there are, there's a beastly theory section at the end that looks at the, the plausible theories. what could they be, without asserting too much of my own impetus, my own opinion as to what they should be or what I think they are, which is a mistake you know I'm used to making with the old book. Let's just see what. This is what people can go. It's gigantic because it's a, an extant meandertloid. It's a relic like ape of some kind, you know, giant monkey, whatever.
2: I found it interesting recently. I had, we were talking a little bit before we went on air about Deborah Hatswell. I've had her on the show and she's mm-hmm. had an experience and she collects mm-hmm. tons and tons of stories from Britain and the UK. And yeah. it was so funny when I put the couple of shows I've done with her out there. People were just pissed off saying there's no way that there's a yeah. Bigfoot in the UK. There's just no space for it. There's just no place for it. And I'm like, look, you know, <laughs> it's it's her experience. And these people, she's collected these tons of stories, dogman encounters, these yeah. Bigfoot encounters. So do you get that often? Like these things are, are not, there, there's no way they could exist there because this is an island and it's just, there's just not enough
3: open space or places for them to hide. Well, I looked, I looked into that for the Beast of Britain book actually. And I, I've, I actually, I have a sympathy for the people who have that opinion. And I think within cryptozoology, it's very important to be realistic and actually, largely speaking, the fact that they could be, you know, on this island, paradise that we call Britain that there could be uh, an extant form of the antitheloid or some Bigfoot-type creature. Living here, undiscovered, is very, it's not realistic. It's not very plausible. And um, because of that, I thought, well, let's look at the habitat. Let's look to see if there is space for it to, for it to roam here without being discovered. So there was a, there was a chapter in brisa book about it called What's with the Habitude? So one of the major things I looked at was a, a, a UK uh, government assessment of Britain. It was taken in 2012. It's called the, the UK National Ecosystem Assessment. So what they were just surprised to, to discover is that only 6.8% of the UK's entire land area can be classified as urban. And that includes motorways and and roads. As Sorry, I mean, rural settlements and roads. And when they broke that down, those percentages down between the four primary nations of the uk so we have four separate governments the westminster government in england then you have the welsh government the scottish government and northern ireland and those are the four nations so within those nations you had 10.6 percent of england was urban sprawl 1.9 percent of scotland 3.6 percent of northern ireland and 4.1 percent of wales now now england's got 54 million people but if you look at wales that's about just under 4 million, Scotland's 5 million people, Northern Ireland's 1.5 million. There's so much space for them to roam and so much food for them here that they could feed upon. But it doesn't make it so, obviously. It doesn't make it a reality. What's really sadly lacking, or well sadly, but obviously lacking with the, the British Bigfoot, is evidence. There's no hairs, there's no footprints of any kind of valid, there's not a single footprint that couldn't be labeled as somebody in a running shoe, you know, or a, a large barefooted man. So that, that's the major issue we have here. Yes, there's some great anecdotal, anecdotal reports. Deborah and other people, and especially Deborah, has made a, a really fantastic job of collecting them into one place where you can see them, but it doesn't make, doesn't make them bona fide, it doesn't make them real,
2: They're just reports. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I battle about this show. And I I didn't start the show to prove anything to anybody as far as these creatures existing or that creature existing or what have you. It was about sharing the people's stories. And I think there's a, a, a real place for that. But I, I, I definitely agree with you. There's got to be evidence that goes mm-hmm. along with all these anecdotal stories. And un, maybe unlike there, there is a ton of evidence that's been collected over here in North America. Exactly. British Columbia, Canada, you know, the Pacific Northwest. But at the end of the day, it's almost like it doesn't matter how great the evidence is. Mm. We're still debating the Patterson-Gimlin film from 1967. exactly. And, you know, we've had people like Todd Standing, for example, who's Mm. sort of a controversial figure here in, you know, British Columbia, Canada and North America and the Bigfoot community at large. I'm actually interviewing Todd tomorrow. and He's captured some of the best high quality HD video Mm -hmm. and still images that I have frankly ever seen. And I'm in that camp of uh, either this guy has the absolute best evidence that's ever Mm -hmm. been collected or he's the best hoaxer that's ever. The
3: boldest hoaxer of all time or the best Bigfoot there ever was. And I think that's what Tom's situation teaches us actually is that, in the bigfoot community is that if you don't present right if you're not likable um if you don't if you don't get on the right side of the right groups not people essentially but the right groups then it doesn't really matter what you have stay
2: tuned for more sasquatch odyssey we'll be right back after these messages hey everyone it's brian do you like saving time i know i certainly do one of the ways that i save time is enjoying factors delicious ready to eat meals Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 options to choose from every week, including calorie smart, protein plus, and keto meals. Also, there's more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals in just two minutes. They have a wide variety of options for your entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. And one of the best things about these delicious meals is there's no prep and no mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat with no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. And factor meals are flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need as you choose your meals every week. And plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor truly is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. And we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. So head over to factormeals.com/odyssey50 and use code odyssey50 to get 50% off. That's code odyssey50 at factormeals.com/odyssey50
1: to get 50% off now.
0: even at thirty thousand feet so sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus that's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus it won't be
3: accepted his i actually had a, a friend of my wife's uh, she grew up with she was the head of VFX for the lord of the rings and the hobbit and all these movies and she's not interested in bigfoot at all and about three years ago i right, um, when Todd's new documentary came out, which obviously had the old footage and the, the new bits as well with Jeff and, and Bintanagel. Um, I asked her to review it, will you just review this as a special effects, you know, professional, and see what you think about it? And she was really impressed with the footage. And she said something along the lines of, what he's done here could be done with some simple 2D layering with the leaves, some good makeup, and with the, the what I think they call it the teddy squash, the, the blondie so the squash, so you know, even maybe a station we had was some, you know, some really good model making. The last one, of course, the devil Quash. It could just be somebody in black maker. I mean, there's nothing to distinguish it from anything else. But the first two really certainly could be somebody maker. But this work, she said, is high quality work. And additionally, the Blinky, as, as everybody refers to it, they're, they're, that, that's a full eye contact lens. If it's a contact lens with the makeup and the fur going under the eyelid, that's extremely painful. But latex makeup to be wearing and really high quality work for somebody in that position, even somebody in her position. You know, you've got a good team on that. And that's not to say he couldn't have had a great team ten years ago when he started, and then ten years later when the film was made and get the devil scotch and the black makeup. That's all he's got left. Perhaps there's a theory, but it. Seems to me a bit strange. I, I spoke to, I don't know, Jeff Meldrum, but we did a conference together and um, we were all, a bunch of us were having dinner afterwards. And I asked him about Todd and he just said that he's not likable. He doesn't come across as a likable person. There's something about his presentation that irks people or makes, makes them distrust him. And he found the guy to be quite plausible. He didn't endorse the footage, of course not uh but he did dispel some of the myths about his wife being a makeup artist but his wife's apparently just a beautician and that's all she is or all she was but you've got to think to yourself you know he went out with les stroud he proved his out his skills as an outdoorsman to les that was without doubt he wasn't in any doubt there so this is a an excellent outdoorsman who's come up with some fantastic makeup effects outside in the woods he's got some big guy and he's made him up in the woods and made it look that realistic it's hard to say if, except for the point of if you know if cliff bergman had presented this to me or bobo or, or jeff or any of those guys i wouldn't have even questioned it i would have said wow fantastic they've got it they've got it there it is right there on film
2: yeah, I definitely think you're right, and I've had those conversations with. I've had Jeff Meldrum on the show, and, mm-hmm. and we talked a little bit about that. And Les Stroud, I had Les on a couple mm-hmm. of, about a month or so ago, and that conversation with Les is what really pushed me in the direction of really trying to push Todd to come on the show because yeah. man, I'd reached out to him before and I was he avoids like, it, yeah,
3: seems yeah. to anyway. And, yeah. and
2: when I had the conversation with Les, he was like, "Look, you know." all the things you said, like this guy yeah. is boots on the ground. He's yeah. really out there doing he knows what thing. he's doing. Yeah. And, you know, as for the footage, you know, Les's answer was simple. You know, I, I held the actual SD cards in my hand and I looked mm-hmm. at them and he had questions about it. And I'm, I'm certainly yeah. going to ask some of those questions. Sure. About where's the footage that led up to this? It's just, boom, yeah. it's just that, you know? Yeah. So there's definitely questions and it's, it's just like the Patterson Gimlin film. It's very difficult. Exactly. To prove one way or the other, you just kind of have to make up your mind and say, this is what I believe and just move forward because I've went back and forth on the Patterson-Gimlin film so many times with people. And Mm -hmm. I still look at things and see things now and I'm like, wow, shit, I just don't know. But at the end of the day, I think it's real. And that's just how I feel. Yeah.
1: I
3: I Disagree. I'm like. I'm 97% at least on the Pelican Kingdom film. Um, again, in 2018, when it's in the US, I did see Jeff Meldrum's uh, presentation on the anniversary of it, and and I've seen other bits um, through Doug I- Ijek and others. You know the uh, the great the great piece he did about the the gate of the creature that you know the replicating that gate with a really stocky athlete trying its, his best to, to replicate the gait. You can't do it. You physically can't move that way as a human. So either they found, again, a really special human, and they knew that the gait should be completely off for a human. For some reason, they put that in and stuck some breasts on it. Now, with you know uh, Patterson's book came out beforehand, there is a big foot-on-the-brain issue here, but should we hold it against somebody if they want to find Bigfoot and do? <laughs> Should we say, <laughs> you found Bigfoot because you have Bigfoot? Well, you went looking for Bigfoot because you wanted to find Bigfoot. So this is in- invisible, surely. You wrote a book about it. So clearly, that's a smoking gun. Um, that to me is, it's, it's a strange philosophy to have. Yeah, sure. People send me possible sightings all the time, or possible footprints all the time. And they say something like, "In the, I just want to assure you, I didn't go out looking for this with Bigfoot on the brain. Or oh, you now told me you have Bigfoot on the brain, by the way, you've admitted it to me. So there's thanks for the smoking gun. Doesn't mean I ex- I, I'm going to exclude the evidence you sent me. It just means I now have to consider did you really want to find this and eliminate that possibility in a professional and non vindictive way? <laughs> but this is, this is where we are. You know, people are going to, any evidence you present, people are going to rip it to pieces. And the best evidence that we have out there, Patterson Kimlin film possibly the standing uh, films and of course the numerous amazing footprints in the usa and uh, in canada and other places like china you can talk about the year and that stuff is hotly disputed and and said to be inadmissible as actual evidence dermatoglyphics yeah on the footprints completely out of step with the normal human physiology and and yet that's not a that's not the that's not the definitive proof. So, if you and I are looking for things and presenting ever uh, evidence out there to people, it's got to be hot. It's got to be we've got to torn it to shreds ourselves before we even show them and be completely sure that whatever's going to go out there is going to survive that onslaught.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's it's it, it is what it is. I had a conversation earlier mm. with uh, I just interviewed Cameron Buckner from the Dixie Cryptids podcast the oh, wow. for the show and Cameron and I were talking about that. Like he doesn't even post pictures uh, that some people send him with the stories mm-hmm. that he reads because people just tear it apart. Mm-hmm. And I am guilty of it. I've, I've done it to Todd standing. You know, I say, yeah. well, those videos are just too damn good. So it's got to be fake. Right. Too damn good. Yeah. Uh, so. And I've had to back off from that myself, and just be, you know, hey, it is what it is. And the few things I have presented, you know, which I don't post a lot of pictures and videos that people send me because it just opens up this can of worms. Mm. But and I think there are so many, and that's one of the things Cameron and I talked about today was there are so many people with amazing evidence that Mm. we will never see because they don't want the ridicule factor.
3: Yeah, there is that. I mean, that applies to all sorts of cryptids. There's all kinds of um. Mysteries and this within Loch Ness is one well about things like that. People, you know, like the McRae footage, for example, the two uh, awesome bits of footage captured in Loch Tweek and Loch Ness and uh, that were given to a general to keep safe and then to, you know, another uh, guy to keep a hold of, uh, Ted, oh, I get the guy's name there. And that to me, when there's too much mystery about it, I'm like, you either have the evidence or you don't. You present it or you don't. If there's talk of evidence that, the, that nobody gets to see, I don't care. I don't care because it's not being shown. I'm not going to beg for it. I'm not going to search for it or talk about it. It's either with us or it's not with us. But in, in terms of the stuff that we present to people, it does have to be dynamite now. And of course, we're in a position where a lot of us are doing shows and we want to do shows and We're doing little TV series and writing books. And, and people will come back to that. Or first-time readers will look at it and say, you know, I... I read your book and or I just quoted Andy McGrath's book and in there it said X, Y and Z. So now this is what we am taking as a foundational truth of Bigfoot. Maybe not my book, but yeah, somebody else's book, somebody um, more bona fide. But I read that book. Uh, I, let, I read Lauren's book, Lauren Coleman's book. I read uh, Jeff Meldrum's book. And there may be a theory that Jeff puts forward that now we put as foundational sort of faith, a basis of faith in the search for Sasquatch. And we build upon it with that that you know that foundation never changing. And it could be erroneous. It could have been just an idea. He just had an idea and he put it forward to say, well maybe this is the idea. Maybe this could be true. And yet now here we are. Um without laboring the point, that's something I'm very aware of. And I think we all need to be we all need to be can we give because people who don't know as much, but people who are newer to the genre will come along and use what you've come up with as um as a basis for their research. Yeah. Long story short.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Right. You've mentioned Nessie a couple of times and I have to be Uh honest, I have always been fascinated with that story as a kid, anything I could digest or see shows, books, whatever it was about Nessie. It always fascinated me. And at the end of the day, the jury is clearly still out. You've you've clearly done some research into the Nessie phenomenon. Obviously the phenomenon exists, but what about Nessie? What, what is your thought on Nessie and what, what, is, what side have you come down on after all these years about what you think it might be? And is it still there?
3: My, my thoughts about Nessie is, is that there is definitely something there. I've been to Loch Ness several times and it, it's large enough, it's deep enough, and it's, it's murky enough to, to hide something of that size. It's also connected to Loch Oich and Loch Lochy by the rivers. Uh, and, and Loughy as well, and there are other places for it to go, basically, and, and to be within the region. Now, there's lots of lochs and, and lakes in, and coasts even in the UK that have similar itinerant, nessie style stories, and I think this being the biggest lake in the UK, it's, it makes sense to me. And if such creatures were around, that that's one place that they would go. And also has a, you know, contrary to popular belief, it also has a very very well stocked um, salmon and trout population, as well as several fish farms and eels too. So many eels. So you know, I think that's you know, it could definitely be there. The sightings are frustrating. I don't believe it's there all the time. I believe it comes and goes between the sea, or it moves between that loch and other lochs. Um, I've come to the. Con- not the conclusion but i've got a strong theory uh one that i borrowed from the the recently deceased uh scott Mardis, a good friend of mine that it may have the ability like some turtles have to to extract oxygen from water there's some turtles have um they have the, the ability to cloacal uh, respiration that's a sort of a that's a kind of gland in the the uh, anal orifice that i can extract oxygen from water and allow them so in some cases to stay down for several days at a time that would make more sense to me than some creature some reptilian creature that has to you know pop its head up every half an hour or so to get a breath um whilst upwards of two hundred and fifty thousand people a year walk around the lock with cameras trying to capture it you know that doesn't um it, it doesn't seem to make sense that they wouldn't um they wouldn't have done so by now
2: Let's talk about some of the other cryptids. Dogman, which you mentioned earlier, again, has been one of those things that has fascinated me to no end. And I just don't know what to think about it. I've done one show about dogman encounters. I had one guest on the show who claimed to have had five encounters throughout her life from childhood up until adulthood in different states, mind you. And I just don't know what box to check and I can't wrap my brain around. I I still have this police brain from 16 years in law enforcement. And
3: Oh, you're a law enforcement officer. Yeah.
2: I was a police officer for 16 years and I'm still, I'm pretty evidence-based again. And and I I want to understand how this bipedal dog, like half Hmm. man, half dog creature can exist. And of course people have theories about it, but what, what have you experienced in folks that have reported this to you and what, what do you think about
3: Dogman? Dogman was such a problem for me, similar similar to yourself at such a long time, also, because everything I'm I'm looking for, I'm I'm looking for as a as a bona fide possible undiscovered animal, not a supernatural creature, not um yeah, not a, a ghost or a goblin or, or whatever. So how can I explain, using the fossil record or whatever else that we, we have, the presence of a, a bipedal canid? How can I explain that? Unless that's not what it is. Now, in my new book, name drop, plug, uh, This of the World, Only One Hairy Humanoids, we do look at, at dogman sightings, along with monkey monster sightings. Now, monkey monster sightings are normally giant types of monkeys, like the devil monkey or like the snatchy. Or crowd down. and I think I did have a theory that perhaps dogmen were some kind of um, some kind of unidentified giant monkey, something that was perhaps you know historically common in Europe and other places around the world, as well as the United States, and is now functionally extinct in our part of the world, but meaning there are still some you know some specimens around in small numbers. And in other places in the world, perhaps South America, whether it's Natchez reported or perhaps in in the Himalayas and other places, there there could be large populations still remaining. So that was my, that was my main theory.
2: Stay tuned for more Sasquatch Odyssey. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey everyone, it's Brian. Do you like saving time? I know I certainly do. One of the ways that I save time is enjoying Factors' delicious ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 options to choose from every week, including calorie smart, protein plus, and keto meals. Also, there's more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals in just two minutes. They have a wide variety of options for your entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. And one of the best things about these delicious meals is there's no prep and no mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat with no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. And factor meals are flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need as you choose your meals every week. And plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor truly is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. And we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. So head over to Factormeals.com odyssey50 and use code odyssey50 to get 50% off. That's code odyssey50 at Factormeals.com odyssey50 to get 50% off now.
0: No purchase necessary. we were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: Um, apart from that, I do think that the supernatural side has to be taken into account. The, the folkloric side, you know, could it could it be that we're you know we're essentially we're essentially looking at something that's existed as a, a warning in folklore? Remember, in, in old times, there were there were cults of the wolf that practiced human sacrifice dressed as wolves. This goes all the way back to ancient Greece and and to before that, even. And there were, and there still are, cults that that practice human sacrifice today. And one of these embodiments of this um, the sacrifice is the the wolf, the werewolf. Are we looking at resurgent folklore, coming back into being in our modern era, where people are reimagining these creatures? and perhaps even reimagining seeing them and we can't rule that out it could be in the mind
2: i certainly doing this show and all the research that i've done over the years of just looking into cryptids in general and even having experiences myself that i can't explain that could or could not be related to sasquatch I, i still struggle you know five days out of seven, I think that these things exist. And then there's those two days a week. I'm just like, you know, I. if I hear one more story that's so fantastical that it just doesn't make sense to me, I don't know where I come down on that. But in general with cryptids, I struggle a bit because there is such a lack of proof that mm. any of these things are real, right? So I continuously question myself, even when I've had experiences myself that I can't explain. And I try to go to Occam's razor and it being the the mm. most logical thing that it could be the simplest thing that it could be. And typically that's not Bigfoot or Dogman or the Loch Ness monster. Right. So yeah, I do struggle with that. And I, it, I, I just, I guess my question as I ramble is, do you, do you have that same struggle? Is there, are there times when you just say, is any of this shit real?
3: Yeah. Or am I just, am I just chasing <laughs> phantoms? Right. Um, I do, but then I think of all of the new animals that are discovered all of the time. The, the thing that that actually causes me most uh, most disconcerting about being into this genre for me is most, I would say new animals, that's not called cryptids, most new animals are not discovered by cryptozoologists. They're discovered by scientists and you know, people in the field. And there's a sort of a layman, the, the, the layman side of being a cryptozoologist for most people, that is or oh, cryptozoology, enthusiasts, as I would describe myself, is that that, that field experience as, of being a scientific, uh, scientifically minded or qualified person is, is missing, completely missing in most cases. So we're going out looking for things we want to find because we hope that they're real. And that itself, um, yeah, that itself can lead to a lot of problems. Have you ever, there's something that, that does relate to this and the dog man story as well. I put my new book in there. Have you ever heard of hyena man? I have not yeah, or the we hyena, even um now this is in Ethiopia they've got these these stories that go right back to uh, the thirteen hundreds people talking about these we hyenas, and it just really stood out to me since werewolf you know these transformations and they do transform from strangely, in this case, from hyenas into people, not um the other way around uh in this case it's an animal that's local it's still the you know the the tale of beastly transformation that takes place but it's they've they've invoked a local animal because there are no wolves in ethiopia right so this now the the most dangerous animal you'll find there is the hyena and i i looked into it it was really strange these stories came out and i find other things about it superstitious things so first there's you know these hyena men at the moment In the, uh, which is something quite different, uh, in the Ethiopian town of Hora, uh, Jugal. And they actually have created this relationship with the hyenas who are, you know, really attacking the people and everything all the time. And back in this famine in the 1890s, they started feeding them at a certain part of town, just outside the town. And the hyenas got used to it. And because of the fact they were being fed by the local population, they stopped attacking people. They stopped attacking livestock and everything. And there's this family or a group of people, in you know, they're called the hyena men of Hara in Ethiopia. And for over 200 years, allegedly, they've been feeding these hyenas. And you can, if you're a tourist, and you can go there, you can come out and see all the hyenas and, and feed them yourself. On top of that, there was... Another thing in Ethiopia with these weir hyenas is that they were believed that blacksmiths were particularly prone to turning into weir hyenas. And most blacksmiths in Ethiopia were Jews. And that profession was, you know, um, common as a hereditary profession because of, as in many cases in countries with Jews, where people, they've been restricted to certain professions or parts of society uh, historically. And even today, you know. when People are coming home late at night, or there's children being called in, they'll say, Stay away from the Buddha, the which are the wizard, don't go near those blacksmith and Jews, or don't go near the blacksmith's house or, or shop on your way home, because they're weird hyenas. They're these, these people that can come and, and take your children. And I thought that was very interesting. You know, you've got this historical prejudice, really, that this type of person or that type of person turns into this creature, could that have existed with the werewolf legends in Europe as well? You know, people were suspected of being witches, weren't they, back then? Could others have been uh, suspected of being werewolves? Yeah, when I
2: talk about stories, that, and that is a fascinating story for sure, and the more I've, that's one of the reasons that I started a second podcast in the, the Paranormal Odyssey, because I was getting so much crossing over. I'd have people with Bigfoot encounters that would come on the show and tell me about the Bigfoot encounter, and it would be, Well, there was this one time Mm -hmm. when I saw a chupacabra. I'm like, oh, okay. You know? So I started sort of diving into some of those other stories. And the more I've done UFO stories and some of the other cryptid stories, it seems to all be connected in some way. And I just can't put my finger on how that is because I used to separate them. Mm -hmm. And I say this often on the show. I, I separated sort of the paranormal, the UFO kind of things that were happening in conjunction with, or very close in close proximity to some of the sightings of the cryptids. And I used to say, well, you know, okay, well, you're you got lights on your property that look like UFOs, and you're dealing with Bigfoot, so yeah, yeah, that's probably just that, and that's just a coincidence. But the more I've talked to people, it seems that there mm-hmm. may be some sort of connection. And I, I'm not one of these people that jumps to, okay, well. I'm okay with the fact that you're saying that you saw an alien ship drop off a Bigfoot and yeah. a beam of light and then come back and pick it up later. I'm just not there yet, but no. I think, are you finding in your research that people are having some of these similar things where they're having, okay, I see a Bigfoot over here. I saw Nessie and then there were lights involved as well. possible UFO connections.
3: I, I don't find that in my research, but I, I wonder if that's because this there's a th- theory why I think it's, they're all connected. And there's a theory why I also think I don't get many of those reports. But I think people know I'm not interested in that. and they, they, My opinions have been quite vocal about that side of things. Not that I dismiss it, but I don't think it's directly connected. And I think these genres are connected, all of them. I mean, I had a big surprise when I first went to a, uh, in the US, when I first spoke at a, a cryptic conference. I was surprised at just how many like Ouija board stores and supernatural stores and ghost stores there were. And I was like, didn't I come to speak about cryptids? And this is isn't this a cryptic conference? I didn't care over there, but it would seem strange and that connection was clear to me. But I did come away thinking, well, perhaps the connection between all these things is that the the kind of person is interested in one is likely to be interested in the next. And when you have dual interests that you like equally, why not just them together I, I don't mean to diminish anybody's uh sighting or tale, but that and I'm, i accept everything at face value that i'm given because i wasn't there so how would i know to dismiss it i don't have the right essentially to do that but i wonder if if that is really the point um when i was in university i, I studied uh religion i was going to be a priest and um i didn't become a priest but i, <laughs> I was very interested clearly in that side of things of course you have to I studied comparative religions, and I was a religious person, I am. And then when I became older, I married a person from another religion. And we both similar religions, but still different. And we, we both live here and we have children. And it's very clear to me how your religious perspective, my own especially, really dominates how you see. Um, and when you see somebody has a religious a similar perspective to yours, although different, and it goes in a different direction, you can then see how the same information take two different routes. And just to simplify it, I often think that what we're facing with zoology is there's a lot of philosophy and faith involved in the liking of the genre. And this is why we have these arguments, you know, because somebody insults your religion. Well, you're not gonna be happy with that, are you? Your philosophy, your life view. And um, that's where we are. I'm open to it. If it turns out I'm out in the woods one day, I see Bigfoot and there's lights everywhere and it steps into a portal. I'd be like, You got me. Dead bang. I saw it. I'm confused. <laughs> converted. That's it. It's real. But until then, I, you know, I doesn't fall into my worldview.
2: Well, I definitely appreciate the approach. And I and, yeah. you know, five days out of seven, I'm right there with you. And then there's just this, you know, there's a couple of stories that really make me scratch my head. And and yeah. I guess it's because the the people themselves often are so compelling with what mm-hmm. they're, they're saying. And that, and I say it on my show all the time. I, I don't necessarily have time to vet everybody's story. If somebody says yeah. they had a sighting in British Columbia, Canada in 1975, I can't fly up there and, and do yeah. four weeks of research to to vet this story. But I don't have anybody on my show that I don't believe, truly mm-hmm. believes that they experience what they say they experience. Yeah. So like you said, I don't have the right then to judge anything yeah. that they tell me. I take it at face value. i put it out there and do it for people to listen to. And then my listeners make up their mind about what they believe or what they don't. And that's what it is at the end of the day.
3: I feel the same. And really, the only discrimination I think I make is because I've, I've um, approached this from a flesh and blood philosophy or a viewpoint, I'm just as interested in finding undiscovered species of frogs as I am in finding Bigfoot or a new bug. That's just as fascinating to me. Uh, or the new whale. I should remember the name. I forget the name of the new whale species they found in, the, in California recently. Mm-hmm. Just recently. Living there this whole time. Completely new whale. Not tiny whale. Not a small whale. Huge whale. It was there the whole time. And oh, oh, gosh, we must have missed that whale. I mean, this is California. It's not the back of beyond. It's not the Pacific. Some island somewhere. That kind of stuff fascinates me and it encourages me. Because I think... Apart from cryptosology, what I'm really interested in is this age of exploration that seems to have disappeared, but it's still there. We've got Google Maps, but we still don't know what's out there. And that, to me, that's the big, huge challenge, you know, out in the jungle looking for new creatures, hopefully not getting eaten, and, um, you know, doing that, thing, doing that thing. That's it. When we get to the paranormal side of things, well, that sort of cuts off my research, because I can't go out in the jungle and find that thing. And if it is a ghost, let's say there are supernatural things, I can't capture it. And I can't classify, it. you know, I might have an EMF, but does that even work? I don't know. You know, it's just a thing I've got. It doesn't interest me because it doesn't feel quantifiable. Like there's a re- resolve to it.
2: Yeah, I definitely get what you're saying. And yeah. I think the thing with cryptozoology that I find interesting, especially nowadays, is the new cryptids that seem to erupt. We talk about yeah. Bigfoot. Bigfoot's like the, the king of all cryptids. And yeah. then you've got, you know, the, the stories like Nessie and you've got mm-hmm. Mothman, for example. Mm-hmm. I've watched some shows about Mothman and it just fascinates me because these people are clearly seeing something. Either there's this, I definitely, like, this yeah. group delusional experience that everybody is experiencing on different nights and different days when they're alone and when they're with a couple of people. And so, and it's over years that these people are having these experiences so there has to be something physical that they're seeing I just don't know what to make of it but we yeah. have these other cryptids that pop up what, what is your opinion on that it's, it's difficult I guess for me to understand how lizard man can just pop yeah. up in the last decade or chupacabra in the last couple of decades or whatever the case may be well I mean what are you seeing as far as that goes and how do you
3: feel about these new cryptids that are popping up I, I feel that and cryptozoology, and like like all like all genres, things move in trends. And some key person will pick up on a story that hasn't really received much, much publicity. Let's um look 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 at this new World Series that I'm doing. Now, the first thing I notice when I'm doing is you have all of these mass reportings of Bigfoot type sightings right here in the U.S. and Canada. And As you search into the other nations, uh, continents apart from Antarctica, there's lots of reports there too. But they're they're not few and far between, but they're underreported. they're under-investigated because the same society and culture, with its um, mobility as as the U.S. has, and its um, leisure time, the availability of leisure time to look into things like this, does not exist. Stay tuned for more Sasquatch Odyssey. We'll
2: be right back after these messages. Hey everyone, it's Brian. Do you like saving time? I know I certainly do. One of the ways that I save time is enjoying Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 options to choose from every week, including calorie-smart, Protein Plus, and Keto Meals. Also, there's more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals in just two minutes. They have a wide variety of options for your entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. And one of the best things about these delicious meals is there's no prep and no mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat with no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. And Factor meals are flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need as you choose your meals every week. And plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor truly is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. And we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. So head over to factormeals.com odyssey50 and use code odyssey50 to get 50% off. That's code odyssey50 at factormeals.com odyssey50 to get 50% off now.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: Or the, the religious prohibitions around the culture don't allow for it to be looked into further. See, somebody in this genre, one of the big crypto guys, comes out and says, "Well, actually, now I'm just looking at this ape in Guatemala." and you've not heard of it, and it's called this, and this is what it looks like. And I wrote a paper on it, and here's a little video. Now everybody's writing about the ape in Guatemala. All than you guys are coming along. I mean, I think the rake is like a good example of this. Is it supernatural thing? I thought that was in your mind when you asked, actually. <laughs> is it <laughs> the rake? It seems like a, that I had a, a major Merkel eye roll, you know, like the German Premier, and <laughs> like, I was like Merkel talking to Trump. <laughs> Just eye <laughs> roll when somebody said to Ray I said, Oh come on. Like this is very loose. And yet there are stories, there are reports. Who am I to say it's you know, one man's I you said before, you know, one man's uh, Bigfoot is another man's dog man. I was when I wrote Piece of Britain I found I, I was in this position. I totally believed there could be a Bigfoot or a Nessie or whatever. But that dog man was ridiculous. And when I Presented that to people who had no interest in the genre. So what's the difference? They're both ridiculous to them. And you see how you have these layers, these um, hierarchies of plausibility in cryptozoology. And it's it, it's amusing to me, but it also shows me, that, okay, rake big eye roll, but don't dismiss it, Andy, because there could be something in it. And that's that's not the right way. So yeah, I'm gonna look into it. Yeah, it, it goes in trends. The rake will go, Mothman will come back, Dogman for a while. Yeah, I know a researcher that's had uh, experiences with Bigfoot, chased out of woods by a Dogman, abducted by aliens, and on and on and on. At some point, you have to say, it's just odd how each one of these things was very popular at the moment that it happened. And you've got, you know, a podcast and products and things that you've got to do because it's become your career, sadly. Not sadly, but
2: sadly they have to do that. Yeah, I agree, and that's yeah. that's one of the things I'm usually very careful of. Is I've I've had people very similar to that on the show. It starts with, yeah, have you had a Bigfoot experience? Yeah. Well, yeah, I've also seen the UFO. Yeah. Well, I was abducted. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a dog man driving the UFO, and I'm like, oh well, we we've okay, covered that. Yeah. You know, and it just gets to the point where it's a little ridiculous. And I've, I've just, found, yeah. yeah, I found that the the more subtle the stories. Typically, the more credible and the more believable Mm. they are, you know, it's just like, hey, I was walking down a path and here this thing was and it scared the shit out of me. And then I was it was gone and I was gone. And that's just what it was. But
3: absolutely. I I was just sorry to jump in. I was just going to say on that I'm similar. I always look for um, mundane details in the sighting. I have noticed I've been fed one or two fake ones recently with mundane details in them because people. (laughs) that. But. But they were mundane, they were conspicuous enough to, you know, to, to, um, to make me suspicious. But generally, you know, when somebody tells the story time and time again, and I walked in the street, and I noticed that streetlight was out, and that streetlight is never out. And then I went on a bit further, then I saw the dog man, and this happened, and that happened, and I felt this way, and I went home. And then they tell the story again, and the streetlight comes in every time. And it's not because the streetlight's important, it's because that's a traumatic experience, it's, it's etched into their psyche. The street like, cannot be omitted from the story as part of it, even though it's irrelevant. And that's the kind of thing you know, I'm looking for. That's these little small details, not really, what was the dog man like? Where did you see him? What were these small details that you can never, you can never forget what are they like and do they remain the same? Yeah. It's almost like going
2: back and doing like a murder investigation on a cold case, you have investigators asking people something that happened in 1985 and it's 2022. They're saying, what did you have for dinner on July 24th, 1985? And they know exactly what they had for dinner, exactly when they ate it. And then you say, what did you have on the day before? Well, I don't remember. Yeah. What'd you have the day after? Well, I don't remember. But you remember Mm -hmm. that specific day, time, and exactly what you had. It's just one of those things.
3: you know. What a tell. I never thought of it that way. What an awesome tell. That's yeah. going in. That's uh, just shoving that in the repertoire. <laughs> we'll have to have some private chats about, about these investigative techniques. Obviously, you would pick up a lot during your, your time as a law enforcement officer. One of the things about Bigfoot, I'm very, I do want to, to have an experience in that I do want to hopefully discover one of these cryptids in my searches one day. But one of the things I'm most happy about presently, especially with the trajectory that my life has taken is that I have not ever had a cryptid experience, ever. Not one, not even close, not even a near experience. But I thought, mm, maybe that, nothing. And to me, at this moment in time, it's validation. Because everybody has a thing. I saw Bigfoot, I saw Footprint, I saw that, I did this, and that set off my journey. I'm just still a fanboy, hoping to get lucky.
2: Yeah, it's one of the things I've been very careful about since I've done the show. I've had a couple of experiences that I've, I've recounted on the show when I was... About twelve. I saw a UFO when I was sixteen and I've had experiences here on our property with vocalizations that I Mm. believe were probably a Sasquatch. But I've apprehensively shared those because I'm the guy with the Bigfoot podcast. Mm. So you have to be very careful about, well, yeah, I've had this experience and that experience because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put something out there that's not true, first and foremost. I'm gonna tell my audience a lie. But if you do have those kind of experiences, then people give you that side eye because, you know, I, I could go out on my property tomorrow and see a, a Sasquatch and then I've got to have the battle with myself. Do I go on the show and say, hey, I just saw a Sasquatch exactly. on my property? Because people are so cynical about, particularly people who do this, I'm hoping this will yeah. be my, my full-time gig here soon. But yeah. When you get into this kind of thing and you see the same people over and over at the conferences and they've sort of made it their Shtick, and it's their thing. Yeah, people point fingers and say, "Well, this guy's making money off a of Bigfoot." Well, good for him.
3: Exactly. Exactly. You know, if,
2: if I can figure out a way, and I'm working my <laughs> my tail off yeah. to figure out how to make this podcasting thing my full time gig because I believe it's what I should be doing, don't be mad at me for <laughs> for figuring out how to do something that I love. They
3: they want your content. They just don't want you to be able to eat while you're making it. <laughs> The funny thing is, and in the UK, this is much worse, by the way. There is an acceptance uh, in America. And that sometimes I think bothers UK audiences that it's okay to merchandise. It's okay to have a mercantile aspect to the thing you're doing, putting all of your passion into. That's really frowned on in the UK. I remember when I first made T-shirts, I mean, which I've never sold any, I don't think. I sold a few mugs. I think mostly I've given T-shirts away (laughs) to people in the hope that they wear them. And, um, but I made some t shirts and put them on Redbubble or something, you know, and they give you like a paltry tuppence, uh, <laughs> pittance, sorry, of, of the money that they on for anyway. And somebody's like, Oh, look at this. You're just trying to exploit this and you're making money out of this. And I was like, If you knew how much money I had spent on this thing, I mean, uh, vulgar money, <laughs> money not to be mentioned, and money I'd spent, you know, seven years working 50 hours a week for, for the three hour commute. In the big smoke, in the city of Satan, London itself, <laughs> to do that, pushing people down escalators because, you know, they're standing on the wrong side. <laughs> in London, you have this thing, you stand, stand on the right, you don't, the, the left is for runners to go through really quickly. And of course, if you've ever been pushed down an escalator in London, you know you deserved it. You were standing on the left. <laughs> it's your own fault. Sidetrack. But the point is, yeah, you know, we put ourselves into this. And to be a very good cryptologist, it's got to be a full-time thing. And nobody's paying you to do it. So the support is necessary. I didn't do things. I, I tried like a little donation thing at the very, very beginning. And I thought, no, I don't want that. Because actually, just for me, if they do that, then they've got something on me. I can't just create the content I want to create and talk if I want to talk and not talk if I don't want to talk. All the people on my page are lovely, by the way, but it, I just didn't want that. So I took it away, said, there's a book, there's a t-shirt, there's a mug. If you want to support me, you'll do it. And if you don't, you know, that's cool. You just click on and read the little articles or look it into. That that's cool as well. Free to those who want it free and you know, those who want to pay can pay. Yeah,
2: it's definitely been one of those battles with trying to put out such good content and very much like you, I work a fifty hour a week retail management job and I can come oh, wow. out two hours yeah. a day
1: to okay. the farm.
2: So, so you know. And I'm producing two shows about to be the third podcast that I'm putting out. So, you know, and it is yeah. one of those things that, that I struggle with because I want to put out good content and people yeah. show up week after week for the good content and great people like you who, who take time to come on and, and share your knowledge and experience. And, and I really appreciate you coming on. Tell us one more time the books that you have out now and where they can find it and when we can expect the new series and, and what it is again.
3: Okay, so uh, the book that's the uh, latest version is Beasts of Britain. It's on all the platforms: Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, uh, you can get it everywhere. Every uh, in paperback and as a, as a as a digital book. <laughs> What's the name for that? <laughs> and uh, it's also there's also um it, it's also uh, an audio book. So we've got a narrator, and it, it's on Audible, and it'll be on all, all the platforms soon. I don't think it's. I think if you've got an Audible account, it's free, and it's the same with the, the digital book. Uh, The new series, Beasts of the World, uh, Volume 1, so it's a seven-part series that seeks to investigate different parallel classes of cryptids around the world, so different categories in every book. The first one is Beasts of the World, Volume 1, Hairy Humanoids, and we look at all of the different types of hairy, bipedal, man-like creatures around the world. I say we, that's just me, but still, (laughs) the plural me, we, we look at all of those, I don't know, who is this we? We look at that around the world, and that's going to be available hopefully end of Jan, early Feb. Uh, We're also trying to pitch a TV series um, of the same name, and that's going quite well. Lots and lots of meetings. Don't want to promise anything. They might might not go for it. But if they do, then we hope to show you these great locations around the world, like a travel show, but with cryptids and a bit of danger thrown in. I'm hoping not bears. I'm terrified of bears. But some of the danger (laughs) thrown in uh, along the way.
2: It sounds awesome, man. I will link to the Amazon link to the book. Thank you. And and when the other one comes out, I'll certainly link to it on the website Mm -hmm. so everybody can find it for sure.
3: Thank you. Thanks,
2: Brian. Andy, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. I had a blast. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Real pleasure. And that's it for tonight's show, folks. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you guys next week. everyone, it's Brian. Do you like saving time? I know I certainly do. One of the ways that I save time is enjoying Factors' delicious ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 options to choose from every week, including calorie-smart, protein-plus, and keto meals. Also, there's more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals in just two minutes. They have a wide variety of options for your entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. And one of the best things about these delicious meals is there's no prep and no mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat with no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. And Factor Meals are flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need as you choose your meals every week. And plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor truly is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. And we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. So head over to factormeals.com odyssey50 and use code odyssey50 to get 50% off. That's code odyssey50 at factormeals.com slash odyssey50 to get 50% off now.
0: 18 plus.